have your Bible, would you open with me to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and if you need a Bible, uh, guys are here, they would be happy to place one in your hand so you can follow along and read with us. We are going to be reading congregationally this morning verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, and uh, I'd like to start with verse 10, if you would read verse 11, and we'll work through it that way. But would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. The apostle writes and he says this. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those fresh reminders that come to us this morning, not only in song, by your spirit and the word. Lord, we're grateful to be a part of this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And Lord, as you would be gracious again to us this morning to teach us through your word, how we might reflect you in this world in which we live. To do that, we cannot do that in our own strength. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we ask you this morning, make those truths real and flesh to us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. On my first uh, missions trip to the Philippines back in 1997, uh, a team of individuals went to see how God was at work at various places uh, along the pole, city where there, of course, was um, a military base in Subic Bay, still left over from World War II. We went out into various rural areas, Belaybay, and um, it was quite an arduous trip. One point we'd flown up to China, spent a couple of days uh, on the other side of the Chinese border. Uh, But while we were there in the Philippines, we were given a rest day as a team. We were able to go to this beach area uh, and swim in the South China Sea. White beaches, little thatched huts, and just one of those, like, you know, you would call it a vacation capital of the world. 
And uh, a lot of us that are on the team, of course, we're Westerners, and we get to poking around conversationally with some of our uh, leaders that are there. We say, well, you know, gosh, we see these little homes up here on this beach. What, what is like a home like that cost here? And our leader at one point back then, well, it's about $50,000. $50,000. I mean, that's the price of a car today. And, you know, your Western mind gets thinking about, well, gosh, a guy could cash out in America and go over there and, and buy a, a, almost your own island or a slice of a vacation beach and, and just live the rest of your life on what you may own or not own here in the States. And what's interesting to me is that in so many of us, maybe no one here in this room, maybe only those watching at home, but I'll include myself in this, in so many of us, there often is this desire to live somewhere else, have a different vocation, have a different ministry, Va um, location, vocation, or situation, have a different situation. Why? Well, simply because the strings, someone put it this way, the strings of discontentment always seek to attach themselves to us. And uh, our advertising community knows this, right? In our culture today, we're bombarded with, don't you want this home? Isn't this the car you'd like to drive? Isn't this the place you would love to go vacate? How about you would like to look this way or look that way? You guys, you dress in this suit and you'll just be debonair, etc., etc. And if not careful, the Christian can be subject to being devoured by the dogs of discontent. Again, as I said, perhaps no one in this room has ever wrestled with that or struggled with that. Or uh, this is for someone at a later date in a different place. But if in case you've ever wrestled with being discontent in your situation, your location, your vocation. The Apostle Paul this morning in the passage that we read said two times, you see it there in verse 11 and verse 12, he says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Paul said he, he learned that. And the question, the natural question that, that came to me and I think should come to each one of us that, that reads this and reads it with an open heart and reads it with a... Uh, a desiring heart, which, well, when did he learn that? Well, 
Where was he when he learned that? Did it take a long time to learn it? Did it just happen? What? How did Paul learn to be content in every place and everywhere? Probably another natural question would be, well, is it therefore then God's desire, as I read this in, in this servant named Paul, is it therefore then God's desire also for me or you or us to learn to be content in every situation in which we find ourselves? Now someone this morning might say, no, no, I don't think God desires that, but that doesn't even logically follow, does it? I think each one of us this morning would say, reading through that, that no, God does desire that we learn how to be content in everywhere and in every place. Do I speak about being satisfied or ambiguous or complacent about perhaps the um, gosh as we've gone through this last year and a half of uh, COVID-19 huge restrictions on on government uh, by government on on business on families on do I speak of just saying, okay, we'll lay down and be, you know, content with that or satisfied with that? No. What I'm saying is learning how to remain content independent of my situation, independent of the circumstance, to know a contentment is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And if you desire that, if you know that, if you possess that, then what we covered this morning will not only be encouragement, it may be re reminders, it may be uh, fresh revelation or old revelation made new again. I don't know. But it was refreshing for me. So I want to start this morning by Answering the first question, I think, when, when did the Apostle Paul first begin to learn or learn to be content? I find the answer in that in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And if you'd like to turn there with me, turn backwards to Acts chapter 9. And as we come to this record of what was happening in Paul's life, then he was called Saul, and he had come from Tarsus, and so he was known as Saul of Tarsus, who at this point in his life was a very uh, high religious leader. Many of you who know your Bible know that he was uh, a Pharisee. He was very... Uh, deeply instructed in the laws of Moses. 
and in the canon or the laws of Judaism. If there was someone that was supposedly on the outwards looking, supposed to be close to God or have a relationship with the one true living God, Saul of Tarsus was, was that image. He had an image of being someone who, who was content with his relationship with God. And yet, if you'll read with me in verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, you can ask yourself the question, as I would ask myself the question, could anybody be really content if in their heart is murder towards someone else? Threats of murder. Where's the contentment in life in that? Have you ever been so angry with someone that you've been so upset with them that it, it just, you can't even think straight? You're, you know, whether that's for a moment or for a day or a week, you're just so upset at somebody just by reason of the fact that maybe they offended you or something they, they said or something they actually did to you caused you to be angry toward them, so much so that in your heart of hearts, I mean, you would never think to murder them, but, but you were just really angry at them? Husbands and wives do not answer that question this morning. And here you have this, quote, religious guy saying he was murder, threats of murder. Where's the content in that? No, he was not content. And so as he, verse 3, journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell on the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And we have here the, the record, a record. There are multiple records through the Old Testament and the New Testament of individuals having an encounter. Help me under, I want to know that you get this this morning, an encounter with God. An encounter. Here, the Lord Jesus has been to the cross of Calvary, died a painful death, buried in a tomb, and resurrected the third day, conquering hell, death and the grave, for the sin of humanity. Shedding his blood for you and for me and this resurrected Christ reveals himself to this man who obviously is discontent in his heart of hearts. 
And he tells him, he says, Saul, the way you're living with this discontent in your heart is hard. This is a hard road you're choosing. And how many of us this morning have walked in periods of discontentment? Discontent with our situation, our location, our relation. You see his answer? Verse, ten, uh, verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished. There's two words. You can underline those in your Bible. Reach over and underline them in the Bible next to you. Trembling and astonished. This is a reverent fear and yet a real awe. A reverent fear and a real awe. Trembling and astonished, he says... Lord, what do you want me to do? Those are powerful words. Have you ever asked the Lord those words? If you've not yet asked the Lord those words, and you get nothing else from this study this morning. My prayer is that you would ask him someday. Because right there, right there is where contentment begins. Is in a full surrender of one's life one's direction, one's location, vocation, relation, and situation. He was headed this way, and it's like, done. White flag. What do you want me to do? I don't know if in the West we really embrace those questions very that question very often I'm, I'm sure I'll speak for myself I'm sure we embrace the phrase Lord I'm doing this I'll try, will you bless it I'm headed this way in life I'm doing that thing in life Lord will you bless it Lord we're going to do a vacation Bible school we want you to bless it amen Lord willing, and Sly Park has opened up. Lord, we're going to have a family camp this year. Lord, will you bless it? More information to come soon. Lord, we're going to reach out to our community with a concert right here at Calvary Chapel. October 9th, I'm going to launch a little bit more information about that next week, but Lord, will you bless it? But how often do we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? We know that Saul of Tarsus, 
who would become Paul, writing in Philippians to the Philippian Christians, and the Paul that we read that said, I have learned, another uh, clear rendering of the original language says that I have come to learn. So it was a process over his life. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it, it begins here. We're told in uh, the third chapter of the book upon which we're under study in Philippians 3. He said, if anyone were to have confidence, confidence in the flesh, uh, I would have more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as rubbish. Contentment in his life began right there on that Damascus road with an encounter with the living, resurrected Christ. That's when contentment began in his life. If you have not yet had that encounter, his arms are open, his hands have been pierced, his heart is speaking, I desire to have that encounter with you. Has nothing to do with church, with religion. Has everything to do with the truth of the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit who says, come, come unto me. Are you discontent with your location, vocation, relation, or situation? Come to me and watch me begin in your life. What happened to Saul? I want your eyes to move forward down to verses 17 and 18. Some of you who know the story, he ends up going on into Damascus, meets a guy named Ananias, who didn't want to pray for him, but does end up praying for him. And Ananias, in verse 17, went his way, entering the house, laying hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road has, uh, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. That's when contentment began. You might ask, what did he do next? Was he as like, okay, one day he's discontent, the next day all roses, I, I've learned how to be content. No. <laughs> Hey, his letter to the Philippians comes many, many years after that encounter on the Damascus Road. How many, you say? I want to know the number so that I can, you know, go that far out in my mind. Okay, then I'll be content. Well, well hold on. 
One of the things we do know uh, is that after that moment in time, he tried to share what had taken place in his life right there in Damascus and in the synagogues. And he was immediately uh, deterred from that as the religious leaders of his of Judaism now turned against this one-time very upright Pharisee and were going to plot to kill him. And the text tells us in the book of Acts that he then left and for, he went back to his hometown 14 years in uh, Tarsus, lived out this new faith as he grew and, and got closer to the Lord. But pr just prior to that, I want you to turn with me to the right to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So you can just turn, uh, flip your pages to, and the way you find it is Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you're anywhere in the neighborhood there. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians 1. And you'll notice in Galatians 1, Saul, now known as Paul, many years later, talks about that event that happened to him on that Damascus road. I draw your attention, your eyes to uh, verse 15, chapter 1 of Galatians says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Most scholars agree, and I do agree as well, is that immediately after his encounter with the living Christ, he went into the deserts of Arabia. He didn't confer with others, but he spent time alone learning from Christ himself how all that he knew in the Old Testament was actually a reference to the living Messiah, the resurrected Messiah. You see... They didn't have this. They didn't have this. In the days in which Paul was saved, what they had were scrolls from the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forward. But what he didn't know is the Christ of the Old Testament. And so for three years after an encounter with Christ... He spent time alone with this Messiah to watch Jesus transform him by connecting all that he is in his word. And that's how I would suggest to you how Paul learned to be content is by letting the word of God that speaks about the Son of God that confirms the resurrection of the Son of God, 
his death on the cross and his life in the spirit, how God's word is in fact alive. We read it, maybe you've read in the book of the Gospel of John, said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. This is, an, this is a, a living, living thing. But if it's ink on paper to you or me, then it's not living. And before Paul, Saul, met Christ, it was ink on scrolls. And then he spent three years where this thing called the Word of God became alive in his heart. You want to talk about contentment. Contentment is the living Word alive in a human heart knowing the living Christ. That's contentment. How? Did he learn to be content by learning to know who Christ and the living word is? It began with an encounter. He then took time alone with this risen Savior. He took time to live out this relationship in the place in which he had grown up. You might say, well, then where? Where and by what means then did Paul, who now years later is he's going to write this letter to the Philippians, where did he learn contentment? Share a couple of things with us this morning. One place that we know for certain that he, he, he learned to be content, uh, uh, I have come to learn, right? So it was processal. He learned to be content while he was working the trade that he worked. Acts 18.3, Paul went to the city of Corinth, Athens. He left Athens, went to Corinth, and then found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them, and so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. That's what Saul, Paul, did for a living. He, he knew how to make tents, and tents were a commodity equal to the car today. Everyone, every family needed a tent of some sort. And so there in this um, city, the city of Corinth, filled with uh, ungodly things, Paul learned to be content as he worked at his trade. All of you men and women who are engaged in a vocation today, you're working. And you're thinking, am I really happy at this vocation? Am I content in this vocation? And if you have given your life to Christ, I would submit to you that God is saying today, learn to be content. 
there. Another place that we know that Paul was put in, uh, in a place to learn contentment, you'll love this one, in jail. <laughs> Acts 16, 25, uh, you recall the account. The multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded that these men be beaten. And so Paul and Silas when they had laid stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet to the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoner was listening to them. Somehow in jail, God said, Paul, in, in years to come, you're going to write to some of my beloved saints in the city of Philippi, and they're going to be filled with discontentment in various areas of their life. And I want you to tell them how you, where you, when you learn to be content. And so this, this jail is going to be part and parcel to that. So here you are. And don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been in jail, it's not necessarily the nicest place. But it is a place that God can take the God seeker and teach them how to be content even there. Oh, the list goes on. Uh, Paul learned how to be content while in shipwrecked, while hungry, while traveling, sleepless nights, I'll read for you 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, which tells us, 24 through 27, Paul writes, five times I have received 40 stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and in nakedness. This is the same guy who's saying, I've learned to be content in every situation that I find myself. Are we listening this morning? Am I hearing, Lord, man, yesterday I got so, just for a moment, you know, ready to jump over that cliff into a discontent attitude. And I thought, Lord, you're so faithful to remind me of the things that if I'm going to speak this, this must be lived out. And that same missions trip we took in 1997, oh yeah, that, that pristine beach on the South China Sea was great, but it wasn't long before when we took a plane up to... Uh, China, 
that the accommodations for me in the room in which I was to sleep for several days, this bed was like about four feet long and hard wood. And it's one of those times when you say, well, but I'm on a mission for God. Am I going to get discontent with where he has me and what I'm doing? I don't know that we ever really look at ourselves in our daily toil as I'm on a mission for God. Remember the Blues Brothers film, I'm on a mission for God. Now that was Hollywood hyperboil, if you will, but is not our life daily we're on a mission for God? Not only all of that, but physical weakness in Paul's life. You recall when he encountered Christ on that Damascus road, we read about the scales being lifted from his eyes, but the Bible teaches that the Apostle Paul had a, a difficulty with his eyes of some sort all his life from that point forward. And that he would often pray and ask God to deliver him from that specific hardship, that specific physical infirmity. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Last verse this morning. Turn all the way to the right to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation, chapter 4. Because what we have seen, testified in the scripture, is that for Paul, who said, I have learned to do this, I've learned how to become content in every situation, in every place, that it began at an encounter with Christ and a surrender of his life to what Jesus wants him to do. If you have yet to do that in your life this morning, I admonish you and exhort you to do so. We saw that he learned by learning who this resurrected Christ and spending time alone with him. For Paul, it was three years in the, in the deserts of Arabia. For you and I, it's every moment, every morning, every evening, every, every hour, every minute that we get a chance to set the world aside, close down the screens, shut off the text, quiet ourselves and just say, God, Lord, I'm here. Speak to me. I'm speaking to you. I want to know you better. I want to know you more. 
That's the same thing. You don't have to get on a plane and go to Arabia and go to the deserts and check out for three years. It's available every moment. And then as he speaks to your heart and tells you to live out what you're learning of him right where you are, we find that that was the case in Paul's life. And that he went on to say, now, here, learn to be content in in this situation. Learn to be content in that vocation. Learn to be content in this location. I draw your attention in Revelation chapter 4 to verse 11. It's a heavenly scene. If you can envision heaven and what's going on right now, the, the living creatures are around the throne of God. We're told in, in Revelation 4.10 that the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before him saying, this is obviously... Christ. Notice what they're saying. I'm going to read it from the King James Version of the Bible. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Whatever version of the Bible you have, the bottom line is this, is that God has created all things. That means you and me. And the singular purpose that he created you, singular purpose, was to bring him pleasure. That's why you're breathing. That's why you're listening right now. That's why I'm here. That's why you've been placed on this planet. There's one reason you're here. There's one reason that 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 fertilization process in your mother came to be and you were birthed into this world. And I don't know if you've, you know, necessarily you've, you're all sitting here this morning that at some point you were born a second time as you came into a relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus our Lord, accepted that he gave his blood on the cross of Calvary for your sin, asked him to forgive you of your sin and come into your life and live. And, it, and, and I know because I've done it and it's as, as if at that point we go, okay, now I can just go live the way I want to live. Time out. You have been created to bring God pleasure, period. And we, as his people, will never know contentment until we are living to please him. Living our lives in such a way that our earnest, deepest desire In all that we say, all that we do, and everywhere that we go, we are seeking to bring God pleasure. Beloved, that 
is what Paul learned. That is what Paul is saying. That is what the word of God teaches. And that is what we are reminded of this morning. Learning Christian contentment in the U.S. today, July 2021, in this society that plagues and throws everything at us through every media source available to try and get you to not be content in your location, your vocation, or your situation, the God of this Bible would say to you and me this morning, remember, I created you to bring me pleasure. That's where you will know contentment. And in case you forgot, I give you my blood and my body again to remember how I purchased you, what I've done for you. And the only way you will ever know full contentment in this life is to surrender to that truth. I hope we can all say Yes and amen to that. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, what a precious and glorious reminder that your servant, Paul, would say so gently and yet specifically that he had learned how to be content. Each one of us this hour, this morning, Lord, we cry out. We cry out to you, Lord, in saying we too desire that contentment. We desire to learn it, to practice it, to grow in it, to resonate with it, to remain in it, Lord. And, and we know that that's only possible through Christ. So as we come to this communion table, we come to remember what you have done for us and how you have purchased us. And we thank you and we worship you and we bless you. In Jesus' name.